0: One of my secrets to adulthood is that great luggage makes a huge difference to your travel experience, which is why I am obsessed with Briggs & Riley. It's extremely durable, has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. So if your bag is ever broken or damaged, they will repair it free of charge, no proof of purchase needed, no questions asked, even if an airline damages your bag.
1: Yes, and I love that they have supremely smooth, shock-absorbing wheels for easy gliding through your travels. Hot off the press, the Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage is new and improved and just launched on Briggs-Riley.com. It has the new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, then compress it to its original size so a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment. And that's just one of the new features. Available in black, navy blue, and olive green. Hey, Mary, we want to get that food truck for the crew. Did you get a list of ideas? Yeah, we could do
0: coffee, beignets, grilled cheese truck.
1: Hmm, what do you think about
0: beignets? I I like beignets. I mean, I can't eat them, but...
1: And it does make us the evil donut bringers. (laughs) Do you care? I think I'm okay. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 18
0: years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles.
1: Today is all about you guys. Yay. Yes,
0: it is a listener questions episode. You ask them, we answer. And we received so many great questions from all of you via email and on our Facebook group. Uh, we love hearing from you, so thank you. And we can't wait to dive in. But first, we have a couple updates.
1: Yes, Sarah, we want to announce as we're approaching Labor Day that we'll be recording a special Labor Day episode. And it's not just us. All the podcasts and the Onward family, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which I also happen to be on, (laughs) um, Side Hustle School with Chris Gillibo, and Happier in Hollywood. We'll all be talking about Labor Day in our own way. Um, With the theme, Happier Labor Day. And on Happier in Hollywood, one of the things we're going to be discussing is... Does your career define you and should it? Mm -hmm. Does being defined by your career or not make you happier?
0: Yeah, and this is something that we disagree on, so it should be an interesting uh, discussion.
1: Yeah, we'll save the great debate for that episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And in the meantime, let us know what you think, and we will share your thoughts in our Happier Labor Day episode on August 30th.
1: Email us or send a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Please also indicate your age and your job, because we are very curious if thoughts on this are generational, if um, Gen Xers have one view and millennials have another view. Maybe we have some Gen Zers out there, Sarah, who are going to be weighing in, a whole new generation. So I'm really interested to hear what people say. Does your job define you? Even using the word job versus career is interesting. It is. Does your job define you? Does your career define you? Mm. Anyway dive deep.
0: Yes. And then we have we have a very fun update from Trisha. In episode 62 we shared her story about crying in front of <laughs> crying in front of her boss and shouting, "I'm on my period." And we were curious if it was a male or a female boss and kindly Trisha uh, heard the episode and she let us know. <laughs> she said OMG, I never miss an episode and just heard my story. Boss was a man, (laughs) a bewildered but kind man. We never spoke of the incident or of my period again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she should be a comedy writer. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you, Trisha. Trisha. (laughs) All right. Let us dive into our listener questions. The first one is from Leah. She says, I just celebrated six years and counting of working with my screenwriting partner. Early on in the podcast, you said it was fortunate for your partnership that you both happen to have the same level of ambition. Are there questions we can ask ourselves now to see if we have the same level of ambition, too? Is it about our interest in showrunning slash show creating or about what we're willing to sacrifice or do to get to that level? Great
0: question. It is.
1: Uh, What do you think?
0: I think... It's both about what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm.
1: It, and where you want to go. Yeah. Like she said, do you want to create shows? Because we know people who do not want to create shows. Right. They see what that job is, and they're like, no thanks. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just will write and enjoy my life. Yeah. Um. Look, we spent a lot of years where... We really did nothing if it didn't um, somehow advance our career. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, even socially, we would be very aware of, oh, there's going to be a showrunner at this party. Let's go. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, That's how we met Sean Ryan the first time. That's right. Yeah. It was at a barbecue.
0: It was at a party at our agent's house. Yes. And we were like, I bet Sean Ryan's going to be there because we have the
1: same agent. Yes. We hustled our butts to that party. Yes. And we met Sean Ryan. (laughs) Um, whose house we were just at Saturday yeah. night. So it's all full circle. Um, having said that, we aren't people who say you can't have kids and have a job as a showrunner. Right? There are those people as well. Oh, yes. There are
0: many people who feel that you have to pick one way or another. And if your partner is one of those people and you're not one of those people, that's going to be a problem. You need to know that.
1: Yeah. Um, so ask yourselves what like I don't know. I mean, I think here's what I'll say. I think, you know, if you have the same level of ambition. Right. I mean, we were just so in sync with that. Yeah. Um, If you are questioning it, then it's most likely that you don't have the same level of ambition. However, if you've been partners for six years, it's I imagine you probably do. right? But I would say, what are your goals like five years, 10 years, 15 years? Is this something you're both planning to do forever? Is this something if you have a family, do you think you might want to cut back part time? I mean, we know a partnership where one of the writers just kind of wanted to retire, and the other one didn't. And so obviously they had to kind of go their separate ways. It was a conscious uncoupling. A conscious, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So all of these things factor in. But I do think it's the one thing that there's no way to compromise on. Yeah. And I also think that if you are someone
0: who is going to prioritize your family and you are going to, on Sunday have your special family time, and you have a partner who just wants to work all the time, Mm -hmm. like, that's never going to work out. You're going to resent them. They're going to resent you. You really have to be aligned on the things that you're not willing to give up, as well as the things that you are willing to give up.
1: Absolutely. And by the way, I think, I'm sure this is true for any partnership. I mean, there's lots of, for instance, like, realtors will have a partner, um if you're at a law firm i mean there's so many situations with partnerships and i think this probably applies to all of them yes
0: okay liz i'm gonna read this next one because i get such a kick out of it uh we got an email from peter who said i have heard liz craft say she needs to change her voice (laughs) i disagree It is a great voice. It gives everything she says gravitas. To put it more bluntly, Liz's voice makes her sound smart, which she is. If you want to hear a lousy voice, hear mine. I have a heavy California accent. What that means is I drop the final consonant off words. When I lived in Chicago, my employer sent me to school to try to drop my accent. About all I learned was how to do a Chicago goose honk. What that means is pronouncing the letter A, as in the word Chicago, with an unpleasant sound. Chicago. Chicago. The late mayor, Richard J. Daly Jr., had a heavy Chicago accent when he spoke. TV announcers in Chicago pronounced the A in Chicago as if it were an O. What's that? Oh, Chicago? Chicago. <laughs> um, Sarah Fain's voice is also great. It makes her sound friendly. She could probably be a network <laughs> announcer if she wanted to be.
1: <laughs> so if our, job, if our career goes south, you'll be uh, <laughs> yeah. an announcer. Or maybe that'll be your side hustle. Oh, that's well. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate that. Um, You know, it's controversial. Some people like (laughs) my voice. Some people really don't like it. Um, But I have now gotten a couple of offers from people who say they'll help me if I want help. So I'm weighing those offers. I think you should
0: let your voice be your voice. You have a great voice. Well, lots of people listen to it at least once a week, if
1: not twice. Well, that's true. Now, Sarah, here's an intriguing question um, from Anonymous. (laughs) She says, or he says, not sure. I am a retired actor, 43, aged out, not good enough, no longer hot, etc., and have recently become a flight attendant. I'm currently based in Minneapolis, commuting from Texas, but don't like the culture there. A lot of grumpy, mean women. Don't hate me, Sarah. Oh, because you (laughs) love Minneapolis. My only option for a base transfer for the next four months is L.A. As an actor, I swore I would never go to L.A., but as a flight attendant, I'm thinking about it. Do you have any advice that may help? Maybe LAX isn't as narcissistic slash rife with sexual harassment as Hollywood. Well, I've never worked at LAX, so I don't know. But of course I think she, he should move to L.A. (laughs) Well, yes, and I
0: think it's also very much about... Well, this is a good thing about L.A. You can really create your own community. Yes. Now, of course, I feel like I have to speak up in defense of Minnesotans. Yes. Who I would say, just remember that there are a lot of Scandinavians in Minnesota and we're a very reserved mm, bunch as a whole. True. So maybe they're not mean and grumpy. Maybe they're just, you know, reserved. You just Scandinavians. need to get to know them. Yes. Once you get past their cold outer surface.
1: Of course, the thing I find most interesting about this is if if they said as an actor they would never go to L.A., does that mean they were an actor and never lived in L.A.? I know. Were they an actor in New York? Because then I'm thinking maybe you haven't been aged out. Maybe you're just not living in L.A. where there are actual acting jobs. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know— you kind of gotta be here if you want to be an actor. I mean, yeah, I know people make it in New York, but I think it's there's a lot fewer jobs. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Yeah, agree. Uh, but yeah, I would say move to LA because here's the thing: if you if you love acting, there's tons of little plays you can go to. There's just tons of culture here, so I think you would just enjoy like your community. Even if you're not actually being an actor, you can find a lot of friends who have similar interests. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that's true of the flight attendants here as well. Like there's probably a lot of flight attendants who have a background in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. So, yes, come to L.A. Come to our next meetup. Welcome, Anonymous.
0: Okay, next up, we will continue answering your buzzing questions. But first, an ad break.
1: Okay, Sarah, our next question comes from Jensen, who asked I work in state government as an administrative assistant. My supervisor has been vocal about wanting to retire since I took my position one and a half years ago. My supervisor still hasn't given a date when she will be retiring. Another coworker wants the position and has been verbally talking to the assistant director about getting hired. I heard about it from my supervisor. How it was retold to me was that the coworker asking about the job made the assistant director very uncomfortable. It's basically asking for the job before my supervisor has retired. I am not sure how to handle this when it comes up in the workplace. I know my supervisor is behind me getting the promotion and tells that to the assistant director. Any suggestions on how I can talk to my supervisor when it comes up? This is a great question. Well, one, I would say you do want your intentions and your desires to be known because yes. these things have a way of snowballing. And if someone gets in there, whether it's uncomfortable or not, they could very well end up getting that job over you just because they acted. Yes, because you were being polite. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, what I think Jensen should do is when it comes up, it sounds like it'll come up again, or she could even bring it up, is to say... I would never do what so-and-so did because to me it would feel uh, premature. But since the topic has come up, I just want it to be known that I'm also interested in the job when that time comes. Mm -hmm. So sort of slam them. Well, (laughs) you know, but I mean, it's, it's a fair thing to say. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then just like, Be the best person for the job. It doesn't always work out that the best person for the job gets the promotion. Which is why you need to get in there and be aggressive. Yes. But do what you need to do to make yourself the inevitable choice. Yes. We always talk about inevitability. Yeah. So if you really, if you're open and clear about your desire for the job in a totally respectful way, both with your supervisor and probably with the assistant director, or you could ask your supervisor to just very directly talk to the assistant director if they are uncomfortable about it. Um, And then you're the inevitable choice because of the great work you do. Conquer the world, Jensen. Yes, do it. We want you to get that position. And let us know how it goes. Absolutely. Good luck. Okay. And then Jennifer has a great question. Um, We're definitely kind of seeing people who are in the middle of of this dilemma right now. Jennifer said, when we see an aired pilot slash first episode of a show that goes to series, is that pilot actually the one the original showrunners created and sold? Or do they
1: change it, shoot it again, et cetera? Mm, Well, the answer is uh, all things are possible. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's the exact pilot that was shot, um, with the exact cast. Very seldom, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's usually some reshooting, um, like, I think for our show, we're reshooting three scenes Mm -hmm. that we just, um, you know, wanted sort of to write different dialogue for them, we decided. Um, but, uh, sometimes you start from zero, which is what we did on our show, Women's Murder Club, back in... 2007 they picked up the show but they wanted a totally new pilot um largely because um we'd had two stories in it and they decided they wanted one story and it really they were intertwined so we really had to start over to get one story
0: yes and we recast one character we actually didn't really recast we just got rid of the character right
1: we'd had five women in the murder club and it Mm -hmm. went down to four and so in order to have you know to make that work we had to rewrite extensively
0: yes so we really did that pilot completely over yes again
1: from scratch yeah Um, And we know we have a friend right now who's significantly rewriting a pilot. But, uh, you know, so it got picked up, but they asked for, I forget the reason, but it is very common. They can see, oh, we like this show, but there are certain big elements we want to change. And everything goes through a testing process
0: at both the studio and the network. So when they look at the results of that testing, they say, okay, these are areas where we can improve. These are changes we can make to make the show hopefully even better.
1: Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know, testing is when they basically, I think, pay people Mm -hmm. a small amount of money to come and watch the pilot. And then they get into focus groups and discuss what they liked and more often than not what they didn't (laughs) like. And it's the whole dial thing where as they're watching, they turn a dial up or down if they're enjoying it or not enjoying it. And then they can sort of click if they're saying now I would turn the channel. um, The little triangle appears on screen and, you know, someone just tuned out, even though they have to keep watching if they're there and you still see their their line of enjoyment. (laughs) Um, It's a very stressful thing, testing, Um, but they really like. Pay a lot of attention to it, and it has a big impact on the show. For better or worse. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: next up, we have a question from our Facebook group. Jules wrote, Hello, I am an actor and I'm working on some skills to connect me to my instrument, body, voice, emotions, etc. I so enjoy the process of getting better at something through practice, especially when it makes me better able to do what I love, which is telling stories. So here is a question for film industry folks who take part in the casting process. In your opinion, what are the most valuable types of skills an actor can have? This can be something that you see called for most often, something few people are great at, etc.?
1: Great question. Yeah, Of course, we're doing a ton of casting right now. Yes. Um, First, we have to suggest that Jules read uh, Jenna Fisher's book, An Actor's Life, because I think it's an incredible um, guide to how to become an actor in Los Angeles. And then something that we look for
0: when we're casting is someone who can show us who they are. Yes. You don't have to be the character, Mm -hmm. exactly. If you come in and you're bringing something special to the table, we love it when that comes out.
1: And I would say the note that's given most often is do less. Yes. Do less. If we feel like, oh, it's a theater, you know, you're in a high school play projecting and putting on this persona, that is not what anybody wants, especially at least not in television. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, by, when we say do less, that doesn't mean to speak quietly. It right. seems like there's a new phenomenon of people speaking very quietly in auditions. Yeah.
0: I think what, like, what we mean when we say it is trust the words to do the work. Mm-hmm. Like the words should, if they're good, and hopefully they are, have enough of a point of view You don't have to kind of take it even farther. Just trust what's on the page and let that kind of be your guide without turning it into a giant, you know, auditorium performance.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, And then one thing is I think people want to have it memorized, and yeah. they feel like that's imperative to show, I think, probably, that they put in the work. Yeah. But we're fine with looking at your sides during an audition if it means you're going to have a more natural performance. Yeah. We'd rather have you reading and you know doing a natural performance than searching for the words, because we can tell when that's happening. Well, yeah, because then everything gets really stilted, and you yeah. get really
0: tense as an yeah. actor. If you know you have the comfort of that paper, if you need to look at it, you don't have to feel that stress, and the the audition actually goes smoother.
1: Yes. And then
0: our casting director said something brilliant the other day. Um, he said, "Leave the room quickly and the building slowly."
1: And that's because sometimes you'll walk out of the room, and then the people who are watching will sort of look each, at each other and go, "What did you think? Did you like? That? I did. Okay, should we have him do it again?" Oh yeah, okay, let's do have them go, do it again. And you want to still be in the building when the casting director runs out and says, "Wait." <laughs> um which happens a surprising uh surprisingly often. Yes, it really does.
0: And I love the also the leave the room quickly yes, part. Yes.
1: Don't linger
0: because there is a thing after after a read is done of like, "Okay, thanks." Yes.
1: It's awkward. It is. It's uh, the addition um, the auditioning process is just awkward for everyone and mm-hmm. just know the people who are watching you are rooting for you they want you to do well Yeah. Um, they really do and if you don't get a part as everyone says it it doesn't mean you weren't great a lot of times it's just not what they're looking for
0: which goes back to Jenna Fisher's book yes. um, and what she says which is you need to rack up 50 no's for every yes mm-hmm. so just think of it as one of the 50 yep. and getting closer to the yes yep. hope that helps Jules. Good luck. Break a leg. Um, And coming up, more questions, including one of Liz's favorite topics, how to take notes in a writer's room. She feels very passionately about this. Um, But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Okay, Sarah, this question comes from Christina. She says, I would love to hear more about Liz's take on the writer's assistant note-taking process and how to manage being the note-taker but still being part of the brainstorm and conversation. I'm someone who, because of the speed I can type, has often ended up just transcribing meeting notes, but I didn't realize until you just said it that it means I can't be part of the conversation." All right, everybody buckle right. up <laughs> no. it's yes, it's a pet peeve of mine, which I'm sure I've said on this podcast that there's be- this this phenomenon has started where writers assistants we have an assistant in the room uh, when we break story who takes notes this phenomenon of them just literally transcribing everything that everyone says mm-hmm. without filtering it and then you can end up with 40 pages of notes at the end of the day, which I guarantee nobody will ever read because it's just simply too much. And then for the writer's assistant, who theoretically is there because he or she wants to be a writer, I mean, they're really just a stenographer. They're not participating in the conversation. So my thing is, I think there should be very few notes. um, And it's really where we land. Mm -hmm. So it's like... I think a writer's assistant should be listening to the conversation, engaging in the conversation, however much they're participating, whether, you know, that sort of depends on the writer's assistant. Right. Because some people also want to hear from the writer's assistant. Yes. And some Some people people don't. don't. But either way, when I say engaging, I mean, like listening. Right. (laughs) And like thinking (laughs) and judging where people are landing. Um, And so... It's really, it takes, in a sense, more skill than just writing down words. Right. Because also,
0: just to explain, in a writer's room, we'll talk about 12 ways to do a scene. And only one of them is going to be the one we land on. We talk about the way different characters might be feeling in the scene, how to start it, how to end it, things that can happen, how to make it more exciting. Like, we'll talk about so many possibilities It's it can be it can be kind of head spinning.
1: Yes. And one thing that's for this, for the kind of note taking I like, it's important that the writer's assistant be empowered to ask questions. Yes. So you have to be able to interrupt the whole conversation to say, hey, just a second. Did we land on X or did we land on Y? I'm not clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, but it takes the judgment of sort of listening to the tone in the room. Like if you hear like everyone's like, oh, yes. Oh, I love that. That's great um then you know okay let me get this down and it's okay to say hey can i have a second i'm catching up here mm-hmm. you know now again this is something to probably talk to whoever's running the room about so that you um you know so that you know you're doing what they want cuz this is what i want i don't know if it's what every single person in hollywood wants
0: right some people do want a transcription
1: yes i don't know why but they do <laughs> um and so if you're in a situation <sighs> taking notes of course, there's, you know, in every kind of meeting um, across every industry, someone's taking notes. I think it's a good idea to ask whoever's running the meeting, how would mm-hmm. you like me to do the notes? You yes. know, because also it's a way to connect with someone higher up than you. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're whoever that person is will appreciate being asked. Um, and I think a lot of times they might feel self conscious coming to you and being like, well, this is what I want you to do. Cause I don't know, it's just, directly bossing people around can be um, awkward. Um, But if you come to them and ask, it shows you care about your job. It Mm -hmm. shows you're a thinking person who realizes there's more than one way to take notes. And it's building a connection.
0: Yes, that's great advice. I love that. I hadn't kind of taken that out into the wider world Mm -hmm. in my head. So,
1: yeah. Um, But look, you're there to be a part of things. You know, you want to be seen.
0: Your job taking notes is hopefully a stepping stone to the next thing. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Moving on, we have a question from Allison who wrote, hopefully this isn't a terribly dumb question, but after listening to all of your boss episodes lately, I'm curious as to how the roles of directors and producers differ. Being a total layperson when it comes to showbiz, the industry always makes it seem like the director is the boss and the role of the producers isn't always well known. Are these roles different in TV and in movies? I know that there will be different directors for episodes within one show.
1: Ah, yes. So it is very different with TV and movies. In movies, the director is the boss. That's it. Writer usually isn't even on set. The director might rewrite themselves the the writer's script. Um, The writer really, unless they're a writer-director, usually has no power. This is why we don't work in movies. (laughs) Exactly. In TV, it's the opposite. In TV, the writer is the boss. The writer... Is um, the showrunner. Is the showrunner. The writer is a person who's uh, just in charge of the whole show. I mean, usually. There's always exceptions. But this is um, the vast majority of television shows. Um, And so, and, and as you pointed out, we have directors coming in and out. So they sort of need to look to the showrunners to know what is the tone of the show? What are we looking for overall? Right, because the
0: writers from the staff writer all the way up through the showrunner are the people who totally understand the continuity of where you started and where you're going within a season.
1: And we're lucky because we have a director-producer who's also an executive producer, Michael Cattleman, who will help us um, do the directing side of it like he'll really help the directors um, carry the vision of the show forward. And that is hugely helpful so that we can concentrate on scripts. But ultimately, we all need to be on board with where we're going. Yes. And Chuck, um, you know, our producer of Happy in Hollywood has an extensive background in the music industry. Chuck, how does this fall um, when you're making an album?
0: Well, the producer of an album would be the equivalent of a movie director or a showrunner for a TV show. They're in charge of the creative production and working with the artists to get the best possible performances out of them. And the record company or A&R person would be equivalent to that of a, an executive producer or the studio. Sort
1: of like sort of like the showrunner of the album. Yes. <laughs> And so the producer of the album is sort of telling the artist, okay, sing that vocal again or try that guitar riff again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got it. Oh, interesting. We need some sort of universal definitions for these things. I know. Because every single industry has a different... I'm sure in commercials, by the way, there's a whole other set totally of different. meaning. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, and before we move on, I just want to say... Um, You started your question, Allison, with hopefully this isn't a terribly dumb question. And it reminded me of something Liz Dolan, one of our favorite um, people, she's a satellite sister, said. I'm in a Facebook group with her. Mm. And people had been saying, I hope this isn't a dumb question. Mm. This is a dumb question. But and she in this really delightfully elegant way said and it's a group of women said, women, let's not start with this is a dumb question mm. because that's what we're here for, to support each other. So just ask your question and it's totally OK. So I just wanted to say, Allison, that was totally not a dumb question. Um, and thank you for for emailing. Yes. And you don't have to to. Um, it's sort of like the apology
1: thing. It is. So, yeah, OK. Let's be More evolving. Yeah now sarah here's the question um, here 's a question that I am very interested in because I find it to be an endlessly fascinating topic. Annabelle wrote saying a question for Sarah: any advice for someone considering taking the choice mom route, in particular, any book recommendations? So before you dive into this, for any of our listeners who don't know, you're a choice mom. You have Violet, um, who you had with a sperm donor or through a sperm donor. I'm not (laughs) sure what the right words are. Um, And we haven't had that much of a chance to delve into it on the show. But of course, it's a huge part of your life. Yes. Um, And thank you so much for this question, Annabelle. Um.
0: first, I would say I did an episode of Sheila Melody's Sound Mind Body podcast. So we'll put a link to that on our website where I talk all about this stuff. So definitely listen to that. Um, in terms of books, well, there's this great book. It was the first book I read. It's called Knock Yourself Up. <laughs> um, it's unfortunately out of print. But if you can find a copy of that, read that for sure. Um, and then find books by Mickey Morissette and Jane Matz. They're sort of the founders of the single mom by choice and choice mom communities. Um, if you're looking for a book on fertility, there's a book called Feed Your Fertility by Laura Ehrlich uh, and another writer, but I don't know her. Um, but, <laughs> but Laura was my fertility acupuncturist and she's amazing. Um, and I'll put links on the website to as many
1: books as I can think of. And Sarah, I would imagine if you also want to be a dad, these books, maybe not the fertility one, but the other <laughs> books would probably be helpful if you're a, a guy wanting to ha- pursue having a kid. Absolutely.
0: On your own. We know a guy who just became a dad on his own, although I think not totally on his mm-hmm. own. Um, anyway, it's very exciting. But my sort of general advice is don't wait. Right. The only regret I have um, in becoming a mom is that I waited about five years longer than I should have, ideally. Um, and you can do it. It's not easy, but neither is parenting with a partner.
1: That's parenting true. Parenting
0: is always hard. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, you can totally do it and do your research. You know, I'm all about research.
1: Yes. But it's awesome. Best thing I've ever done. Yes. So Annabelle, good luck. We're behind you. We um, think it's very exciting that you're considering this road. Yes, we do. And let us know how it goes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Please remember to get in touch with your thoughts on being defined by your job. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What generation are you in? We want to know. Email us or send us a voice memo at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Remember, subscribing is free. This podcast is totally free. (laughs) Thanks to our producer, the amazing Chuck Reed and
0: everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound.
1: Thanks to the awesome ad team at Panoply. Thank you to our assistant, Mary Merkins, for keeping us largely in the right place at the right time. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. You can ask us more questions in our Facebook group <laughs> and we will answer them. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Violet wants me to
0: take a video of you giving yourself an insulin shot because it blows her mind that you do that.
1: Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's funny. I, know. Okay. And I was like, well, she does it so fast. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like,
0: you know, I know it's coming. It's just like, shoot, done. That's funny.